Bibles, if you would, to Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6. If you don't know where the book of Micah Mike, the book of Micah is a very small book in the Old Testament. If you don't know where the book of Micah is, if you go to the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, and hang a left, it'd probably be easiest to find it that way. So uh, just kind of work your way backwards very slowly. You'll hopefully find it. If not, you could always do what I do and just go to the index and uh, get the page number from the index. <laughs> hey, I'm just being honest. There are times, you know, you just go brain dead and you're like, where is Micah? Anyway. <laughs> Uh, so Micah chapter 6, we'll be there in a minute, but uh, the, the, July is always an interesting month, at least in my life, um, because uh, obviously the 4th of July uh, is at the beginning of the month, and then uh, in a couple of weeks we celebrate our church anniversary, uh, which is on the 19th. Uh, this year, the anniversary actually falls on the very day that we started the church, uh, July 19th, uh, 11 years ago. Uh, and there are some people here uh, uh, this morning that were here at the very, very beginning of, of uh, Grace Baptist Church, and, and we're incredibly thankful for that. Um, so I, I end up doing two things. I'm always, I, I am incredibly patriotic as an individual. My parents are here. Uh, they raised me to be very patriotic, and, and I thank God for that. Um, so I'm always excited about the 4th of July, but I also am thinking about the anniversary and what God's done this, this time over the last 11 years. And, <clears throat> and uh, so as I was in preparation uh, for the, the message this morning, I kept going back and 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 thinking about what God has done over the last 11 years, and I'm not. This is not a message about our anniversary. That's coming, okay, in a couple of weeks. Um, uh, but I, I still I, I couldn't help but go back and think about what got us to the point where we're at as a church, and. One of the things that I kept kept coming back into my mind was that at every opportunity I had in leading up to the start of Grace Baptist Church, I asked every pastor that I came in contact with, what advice do you have for me? Because I had never been a pastor before, and I knew that there was a huge learning curve ahead of me. And I would say at least 100, if not more, pastors I was able to ask that question to. And there was a consensus among all of the pastors, well, I shouldn't say all of them, the majority of the pastors that I talked to basically, in one, shape, one form or another, told me the same thing. Are you ready? You, you may want to write this down. This is, this is good. Love people, walk with God. Over and over and over, I heard that. And, and it got to the point where, you know, when I first started hearing that, I'm like, well, that's kind of a no-brainer. You know, I mean, is that not what a church is supposed to do? Love people and, and, and serve God, you know? 
But when I started hearing it over and over and over, I mean, to the point where, you know, at least in my thinking, if my memory serves me correct, at least 100 pastors told me to love people and walk with God. So what would the, what would the after you stop and think about it, what would be the natural reaction, at least in my thinking, would be, okay, loving people must be hard. Some of them. And walking with God must not be as easy as we often think it is. So if all of these pastors are telling me that we need to love love people and walk with God, then I, I'm in for a big surprise. So I had to rethink what it means to love people and walk with God. And over the last several weeks, I, I have, as, I, as I've been kind of thinking about the anniversary coming and 4th of July and everything, I, I could not get away from the, this idea of loving people and walking with God. So I want to challenge us on this 4th of July weekend to do just that. Let's love people and walk with God. And as I, as I contemplated and I thought about it, I thought about the Civil War. The Civil War is an interesting period of time within our, our country's history. It was a time when friend fought against friend, where brother fought against brother. It was a time of great turmoil, and even hatred. And in the midst of the Civil War, in a place called Gettysburg, if you've never taken the time to visit Gettysburg, let me encourage you to do that. Uh, when we lived in the Southeast, and, and we, we had the opportunity to visit some of the Civil War and even the independent... Uh, uh, I'm sorry? Revolutionary War, yes, thank you. Uh, the Revolutionary War, we've been able to visit some of those, those monuments and, and sites, and it, it is incredible the price that was paid so that you and I can be sitting here today. And, and, and I'm just going to be honest, and I know I'm on the Internet. I, I'm sorry. I'm going to be in, uh, politically incorrect right now. Tearing down monuments is a disgrace. I'm sorry, it just is. Those are ignorant people that do not understand history. And they don't care about history. All they care about is the here and now. But the problem with that is if you ignore history, you're bound to repeat it. Lincoln, in his Gettysburg Address, I want to read this to you because... I feel like one of the things that is so phenomenally powerful about the, uh, the Gettysburg Address is that when Lincoln gave it, he was not taking sides because he realized that at the Battle of Gettysburg, both sides fought valiantly and both sides gave everything that they had. Let's listen to these words. 272 words that I'm sure many of you as children had to memorize. Um, 
fourscore and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a, a, a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the <clears throat> proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on the battlefield and in and <clears throat> excuse me, the battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives, that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this, but in a large sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here, have consecrated it far above our, our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember that we, what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here <clears throat> the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather to us to be here dedicated to this great task remaining before us that from these honored dead that we increase devotion to the cause for which they here gave the last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve that these dead should not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from this earth. Back many years ago, when I was, actually when I was in college, I tried to find the book, and I've got it somewhere, and I can't find it. It's driving me nuts. But I, I have a book, and I read it in college, and um, part of the reason I can't find it is I can't remember the title of it. Anyway, um, <laughs> but it was, a, it, was a, it was a compilation, if you would, of stories from chaplains during the Civil War, both on, uh, from both sides. And story after story of revival that would take place within a camp. Knowing the next day that they were going to be going into battle. These, these, these chaplains or pastors who had enlisted into the different sides of the armies would hold revival meetings and thousands upon thousands of men would get saved and 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 it, it, it's it is it the stories were just absolutely incredible on both sides i'll find it i'll find it one day and i'll i'll read it again but it's it, it's just a, it was such an encouragement to me men on both sides turning their lives over to jesus christ and 
lives, lives that were being changed. Some of these men that were getting saved the very next day would pass into eternity. And as I contemplated this struggle, this the turmoil, the hatred that was, was being demonstrated during the Civil War, in the midst of all that turmoil and hatred, there were two things. There was love and there was God. And as I started thinking about it, I thought, you know what? A moment ago, I made this statement about the, about the monuments. I am commanded by God to love and to walk with God. I am commanded to love people and to walk with God. And as I contemplated this idea of loving people and walking with God, in fact, if you're, if you're keeping notes, and I hope you are, the title of my message is Love People and Walk with God. I, you probably already figured that out. Love people and walk with God. When you think about it, there's only one verse in my, in my mind that comes to, comes to mind, and that is Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. He has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for this time together. I want to thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, as we look at this verse and your, the word of God this morning, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and that you would encourage us to be more like you in everything that we say and do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Micah here, in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, is answering a question that religious and well-meaning people have been asking for centuries. They, they wanted to know how to get to God. How, how can I in my life please God? And the, 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 Micah was a prophet to the, the nation of Israel, the northern ten tribes of the nation of Israel. My, Micah was the prophet to, the, to that part of the, the, what, what is the, the nation of Israel. And the, the northern ten tribes had become so pagan and so they had gone so far away from God that they, they were... They were sacrificing their own children on the altar to please the gods. And Micah was so disturbed by it. He, 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 writes, he writes verse 8 and he says, He has shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy he says something here that is incredibly interesting. He does not say, hey, you Israelites, 
What does he, how does he start verse 8? Oh man. He's, he's, he's talking to mankind, not just the nation of Israel. What does God require of men? What does God require of you and me this morning? Point number one, to do justly. To do justly. See, you have to understand that this word justly is a two-sided coin. It's not, it's not just one side. And, and, and <clears throat> religious people throughout, throughout time have taken this verse and they say, well, I'm just and, and, and I'm a good person and so on and so forth. So God just wants me to be good. No, 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 no. You have to understand this is a two-sided coin. We must first be justified in order to be able to be just. See, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the peace of God does not come until we are justified. So when Micah here is saying this, he's not just saying, Hey, you have to be a good person. You have to live by a certain code. He's saying, first and foremost, you must be justified in the Lord. In a very practical sense, the nation of Israel was trying to earn their way to God. They were trying to be just. They were, they were trying to do all these things on their own, but it wasn't working. And that's why Jeremiah wrote what he wrote. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, But if Abraham were justified by works, he hath wherefore to glory, but not before God. So what, what, is, what, is, what are we told here in Romans chapter 4? Hey, if works could get yourself to heaven then we would be the instruments of glory and not Jesus Christ. So if we are truly justified, we have to be justified in Jesus Christ and not our own works. The, the, the nation of Israel had gone so far, they were sacrificing, they were putting to death their own children. And, and, and Micah says, no, you don't have to do that. Your justification comes through Jesus Christ. See, <clears throat> external religion without internal change is absolutely worthless. And what, what Micah was trying to teach the people was that, you know what? If the change doesn't happen on the inside, it really doesn't matter what we do on the outside. In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 and following, there's a parable here. I want to read this to you. And he spake this parable unto a certain which uh, trusted in themselves. Now, now <clears throat> who is he sharing this parable to? It's people who trust in themselves and their own righteousness, their own ability to do good. 
He says, I, and I speak this parable unto certain which trust in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week, and I give tithes to all that I possess. And the publican stood afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes to heaven, but he smote upon his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself is abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The, the parable here in Luke chapter 18, Jesus is giving us an example of the, of the, of the person who, who is <clears throat> doing exactly opposite of what Micah was trying to tell him. He has shown the old man what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly? See, we must understand if we are going to do justly, we must first be justified. The other side of the coin is that we do need to be just. We do need to treat people right and fair. But the point that uh, Micah was trying to make here is you can't do that until you are first justified by God. Now, can we as individuals do good things? Absolutely we can. But I have some bad news for you. Down deep inside of each and every one of us, we are all selfish. And yes, we can do certain good things and we can do, but it takes somebody who has been justified by God to truly understand what it means to love people. See, we can't do that on our own. It is totally against our nature. Totally against our nature. The story in Luke chapter 18 that I just read, the Pharisee or the religious person was only concerned about himself and the show that he was able to put on. Number one, do justly. Number two, love mercy. Love mercy. Again, this is another two-sided coin. We must first experience the mercy of God before we can demonstrate true mercy. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 4 and 5, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved through faith. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. You know, 
I can explain to you. I can sit down via the Bible and I can explain to you the mercy of God that he has demonstrated in my life. God, in eternity past, chose to send his son to this earth. And he did that approximately 2,000 years ago. And he walked on this earth totally sinless for about 32, 33 years. And he went to the cross and paid the price for my sin. And three days later, he rose from the grave. I can explain all that to you. But what I cannot explain is why did he do that? Now, I I know that the Bible says that he did it because he loved mankind, but I cannot explain that kind of love, can you? I cannot explain why a holy God would love somebody like me. I can't explain it. If you can, please help me. I can't explain it. I know he did, but I don't know why. See, that is agape love. And that is the exact kind of love that you and I are supposed to show to other people. We are to love people. And here in Micah, we are told to love mercy. What Jesus Christ demonstrated on the cross is mercy. I don't understand it. I I understand it, but I don't understand it. In John chapter 8, I'm going to read another story here uh, in verses 3 and following. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in, in the very act. Now, uh, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have, uh, accused, uh, have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning, with the, beginning at the eldest, even unto the, lead, to the last. And Jesus was alone, and the woman standing in in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw uh, none but the woman, he said unto unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, the reason I just read this story was not so much to show you the mercy that Jesus showed this woman, which he showed her great mercy. 
the reason I wanted to read this story was more about the lack of mercy by the religious crowd. The very people that should be the most merciful, most loving people on the, on the face of God's earth are, are sitting in churches across our great country. But I'm here to tell you that's not always the way it is. That's sad. Christians can be some of the most hateful, vindictive people I've ever met. Mercy needs to be part of our DNA. But the reality is we cannot show true mercy until we experience true mercy. Love people. Walk with God. Number three, walk humbly with thy God. Let's read the verse again. He has shown the old man what is good and what that the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. There is, I believe, one word in this phrase, this verse, that is the most important word in this whole this whole verse and that is the three letter word thy thy god walk humbly with thy god i have a question for you this morning is god in your life is he your god or is he just a god See, that, that, that changes everything. See, I'm not told to walk humbly with a God. I am told to walk humbly with my God. He needs to be my God. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 16, And, and when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He said, or He asked His disciples, saying, whom do men say that the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say that uh, thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and some Jeremiah, and, uh, uh, or one of the prophets. And, and that is so true. Uh, people, if you went, you went to Walmart today and, and you went around asking people, saying, Hey, who is Jesus? You would get a, 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 a thousand different answers. But then Jesus asks a question that changes everything, just like Jeremiah does. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? See, it doesn't matter what other people think. It only matters what you think. Is he your God? 
or is he a God? See, you can't walk with a God that is not your God. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He got it right. But he had to be prompted in order to get it right. The reality is it doesn't matter what other people think of God. Your eternity is based on what you think of God. Your eternity is based on whether or not you know God or whether you do not know God. He wants to be your God. God, in Numbers chapter 15, through, through Moses, wrote this in verse 41. Numbers chapter 15 and verse 41. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. What was, what was God trying to to get the people of Israel to understand. He did not want to be a God. He wanted to be their God. Why did God bring them out of Egypt? Why did he do all the the, the miracles and all of the, the Red Sea and all of that stuff? He did all that so that he could have a relationship with them. That's why. This morning, God is not interested in being a God. He wants to be your God. James chapter 4 and verse 10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. What does it mean to be humble? Humble humble yourself. In verse 8, it says, And walk humbly with thy God. What does the word humbly, humble mean? Humble is an interesting word, at least in the context here in verse 8 of chapter 6 of, of, uh, of Micah. It, it, is a, it, it carries the word that it, it is a, the, the, the humility that he's talking about here needs to be a natural reflex. It's something that you should not have to think about. It should be so a part of your life that it is just who you are and what you are. Humility should be natural to each and every one of us. At the beginning of the message, I made reference to the strange times that we live in and the fact that there's so much going on in our world today, our country, that I'm finding it hard to love some people. Shame on me. Because I don't have the right, the privilege to be able to pick and choose who I'm to love. I'm to love mankind. We are to love mankind. If we are going to make a difference in this world, it is only going to be because we love people and we walk with God. And as we celebrate this incredible holiday, my understanding, if, I, if my memory serves me correct, the, 
Declaration of Independence was signed 244 years ago yesterday. Or ratified, I, I should say. I could be wrong, but I think, that, I think that's right. 244 years. We have a great country. We have a great nation. And this great nation is made up of people of different opinions. But it's still a great nation. And if we are going to make a difference, if we are going to show the love of God, we must first love people. And we must walk with our God. Let's read the verse again in closing. He has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of thee? What does God require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Loving people and walking with God is a choice. It is a choice that each and every one of us is going to have to make. And if we are going to make a difference, not only in the town of Fernley, but in our country, in our world, it's going to start with that very simple principle. Love people and walk with God. Because I promise you this, if you don't walk with God, you're go you are not going to be able to love people. It just won't happen. Let's pray. Dear Lord.